Welcome to CS Radio. Welcome, everyone, to episode 147 of CS Radio. I'm Jay Michael DeAngelis. I'm Natty Leach. How was your Thanksgiving, my friend? It was great. How was yours? Yeah, it was good. It was good. Fine food, plenty of family, plenty of downtime. Took in a couple of movies and streaming programs, and it was nice. I, we were talking at lunch. I watched all nine hours or however many long of the Beatles documentary. It's a lot of Beatles. I thought it was great. Nice. Yeah, I saw the clips, and they were they looked really impressive. Yeah, I thought it was great. I recommend it's uh, six hours of your time well spent. If you like the Beatles, or yeah. just learning about the creative process, which of course yeah. I'm a huge fan of, and it's part of part of history to an extent too. I I, it absolutely is. Speaking of history, there was some on Friday, sort of some sad history as far as as, as I'm concerned, with the passing of uh, composer lyricist Stephen Sondheim, and I had jokingly. I jokingly said to Natty, well, I'm going to have to dedicate the entire podcast to me, mourning my, my idol. But in fact, I think there's a lot that we can talk about, thanks to Mr. Sondheim, uh, because as people have been remembering him and mourning um, his loss to the, the theater and entertainment world, the bigger loss and perhaps even his biggest legacy is his legacy of mentorship and teaching. If you know anything uh, about him, he was the mentee of Oscar Hammerstein, so sort of the the grandfather of American musical theater. They were neighbors here in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, oh. uh, in Doylestown. I didn't know they both were. I knew he was. Yeah, so they both had sort of country homes in Bucks County. They were both from New York, but son, mother got to know the Hammersteins and sort of was like, here's my son. And so Oscar Hammerstein taught Stephen Sondheim, and then he, in turn, taught many of the people that we know today, Jonathan Larson, who wrote Rent, Adam Gattel, and probably most famously in the moment right now, Lin-Manuel Miranda, right? So there's this- All part of that tree. That there's a real direct tree. Sondheim really believed in teaching. You can find some really amazing videos on YouTube of him teaching his work to young people. And it's really fascinating and amazing to see how patient he is and how precise there's a right way and a wrong way to do things, but he's very gentle in his in his way of explaining it, right? He's really good at explaining why certain things work and why other things don't. So I got to thinking about that and what a you know tremendous legacy he's he's left and that importance of mentorship. And the thing that immediately came to my mind when he passed was, oh, I, I have to call. Ken. Ken Butler was my boss and my mentor when I was uh, an undergrad, and he too has sadly left us. So it was a, a fleeting thought because, of course, I, I can't call him anymore. But I thought about a lot the impact that Ken had in my life, my professional life and my personal life, and what a role model he was and how kind and patient and empathetic he always was with me and the other students that worked for him. And while I probably wouldn't have used the word mentor at the time, maybe I would have by the time I was like a senior. Um, but it was a real mentor relationship. And I think that's something that we hear all the time here in career services, that students crave that. And how do you find that? And can there be as structured a program as there is for on-campus recruiting and career fairs to match me with a mentor. And in some ways there are. Natty, you always participate in the college alumni mentoring series, the, the CAMS dinners. 
Yeah, and so that series is amazing. It's a great little informal way for current college students to be introduced to people who were not so long ago in their same shoes, but are now within the industry. And a lot of times we think about it's a structured approach to help open doors in a more casual way. It's really hard to structure mentoring because there's so much there's so much outside of just finding a person to talk to that goes into that connection and that rapport you build with that person. But at least this at least allows an opportunity for, at the very least, great alumni to talk about a specific industry in a panel or a roundtable format where students get more of an intimate setting with them. And many times it opens up. I mean, I know a lot of alumni who have been a part of that series often offer and say, hey, re reach out to me. We can talk more. So sometimes that's the beginning of a conversation or the beginning of a relationship. And that's really what I wanted to focus on today is those unstructured opportunities or just walking through those doors when they're opened, just a little crack, you know, I, Ken came into my life because he worked at the college. He was the administrative director for the theater department. I was a theater major. I ended up being his assistant as my sort of student job, but he also music directed all the musicals and operas that we did. So I got to know him very well through that. And we just found that we had a lot in common. Number one being Sondheim musicals. I think I talked more about Sondheim than I did almost anything with Ken. But other things, too. We both loved Monty Python. We had the same sense of humor. We liked the same sorts of movies. And so we became friendly, and then I became his employee. And I, just by being around him, learned a lot about being a professional person and how to handle things. And he was always very open with advice when I asked for it. And at least on one occasion when I didn't ask for it and I really needed to hear it. So he was just an exemplary uh, mentor. And um, in my time here at Penn, there was more than one occasion where I picked up the phone from my desk and I called him and I said, I don't know how to handle this, whether it was a work thing or a student situation. And I knew he'd always pick up, right? And he'd always have good advice. And I really miss that, but I've really tried to emulate that now that I'm been here a long time and I'm sort of a senior person and maybe have uh, younger people. It's uh, interesting. It's interesting situation to find myself in, but I think about what would Ken say and I try and, and emulate that. So I absolutely recognize the, the power of that. And I think we in career services can do, I don't want to say a better job, but we could, I think we can talk more about just finding those unstructured mentorships. That's kind of what I want to talk about today. Like, Yeah, one of the things I liked about what you just said was you didn't think about him as a mentor right no. away. Yeah. And there may be plenty of people who already might, you might have a mentor and you might not even think exactly. of it that way yet. So, you know, you think about all the people that you meet on a college campus, professors, obviously. I'm sure there are many people on this campus who have really strong relationships with a professor or a department chair. Could be one of your advisors. It could be somebody in a student service office. Natty, I would not be surprised if somebody thought of you as like their person on campus to talk to. I've been lucky enough, you know, most less through my career service work and more through work with the student performing arts. I've had students over the years who have asked me for advice or I've developed these, you know, sort of mentor relationships with. So there's that. There's even, 
you can have a, that kind of relationship with a, a fellow student. I was just going right? to say, it's not, it doesn't always have to be someone older than you. And there's lots of ways that you can develop that relationship with someone who might be your peer in yeah. every other. But maybe they have more experience in a certain area than you that you don't have and you really value that. Or maybe you just really value their their own opinion or their take on on situations and they they end up being that sounding board like you were talking a hundred a hundred percent right and that's again we're always talking about using the power of your network so using that power not necessarily to find a specific job or, or opportunity but just to bounce ideas around to talk things through to generate ideas my writing partner you know was had all, just graduated when I was a freshman. So he was around campus as a young alum. And we gravitated towards each other um, and became friends. But I would say that I, <laughs> weirdly, I probably thought of Pete as a mentor before I thought of Ken as a mentor because I just thought, oh, here's this cool older kid, right? He's only like three and a half years older than me. But this cool older kid who has all these great ideas and is willing to talk to me about my ideas and bounce things off each other and I can talk to him about my college experience and he can tell me what he went through and how to deal with this professor or that professor. And, you know, all these years later, we're literal business partners. Yeah, so like that, that kind of stuff you have to. So that's why I think when students ask for these structured mentor programs, not that that's not a good thing because it can present to me, the best thing that can do is sort of present you with a menu. Of yeah, it's, it's more of like an opportunity. I think rare. It's hard to expect that to turn into. I mean, think about how you describe that, right? That's almost years and years of, a, of almost like a lifelong relationship. Absolutely, that you've built with these people. So it's really hard to find a a structured approach to finding that right chemistry and that right rapport between you. Yeah, and I think sometimes when you seek it out it makes it more difficult because now like if someone came to me and was like, please be my mentor, I don't know that I'd know what to do, right? Because then there's this formality to it. Whereas if I'm just working with somebody already or we've developed some sort of relationship and they feel comfortable asking me a question and I feel comfortable asking it, then those, that's how things grow. It's, you know, when I talk about Ken, just like I said, he was just my, he was an authority figure and he was my boss. But that relationship grew over time until he was the person I depended on to, to look like I would be like, I know who I should ask. I should ask Ken. So that's another thing I think that people need to understand is that these these do take time. It's not like it's not like being assigned an RA or something like here's Natty. He's going to be your mentor. I know in some workplaces, in some corporate structures, you may get that. And again, but that like may take off in a really great way, or it may be just like ticking a box. Yeah, it can or it can't, right? Like even like the RA example like you said, my RA freshman year, he was fine, he was cool, but I wouldn't consider my me a mentor of mine. But my RA the next year, I talked to her all the time. She became one of my best friends in college. So it's just like finding the right. And then fit. you became an RA, and, and then the I myself became continued. an RA. Exactly. Yeah, and it's kind of fun. like the way you're describing even. The whole Sondheim connection is almost like you yourself have become part of that tree in a in a different kind of way. I think that's right. I mean, indirectly, absolutely, because I admired his work so much, and it, it was something that inspired me to want to go into the theater and to work in musical theater. And more than that, you know, all of my artistic heroes are people that really had unique 
voices artistically and encouraged other people to do that as well. So um, I was just watching a clip of an old interview with Sondheim, you know, over the weekend after he passed, and he was talking about his relationship with Hammerstein. And he said the first uh, and possibly most important lesson he taught me was, no, 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 don't write like me, write like you. Because he had brought him a song. He's like, you're going to love it. Because it was written in his style. It was all about nature and trees and cow, <laughs> cows and stuff. And Oscar Hammerstein went, okay, but write something that – because you don't like trees and cows. I like trees and cows. <laughs> so what is your – like what's your your voice? And you know, he said it took me like another 10, 15 years to really find that artistic voice. But I was set on this path to find it, and I knew like I shouldn't be trying to be anything else other than myself. And then once I found myself, boom, I, exp- I, I exploded, right? Yeah, that's such a hard question to answer as a, as an artist. Like, what what inspires you? Like, yeah, what's your voice? Oh, a lot of times you start emulating, right? That's <clears throat> Especially in the music world, that's what you do, right? You learn you learn someone else's song, and that's how you learn music. Right, and, uh, and in the music, and what, so what's <clears throat> going to sell? I need to go to a producer and be like, let's put this on. It's like an Oscar Hammerstein show. Oh, great. Okay, good. Like, no, this is something new that you've never heard. And they're like, ooh. <laughs> but do people like that? <laughs> right. Yeah. We don't know yet. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I was definitely inspired that and by by that. And, I, yeah, I, in many ways, I guess I am an indirect branch off of that that tree, which is – that's a really nice feeling right now, actually. Yeah. Who, who are the other trees in theater? Andrew Lloyd Webber? I mean, I think it's. I'm certain that it's uh, different for everybody. I mean, absolutely, Andrew Lloyd Webber has made a huge mark on a on a certain type of commercial theater, and I'm sure that there are young artists that emulate him. And he also, I think, has a uh, a real passion for 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 teaching as well, particularly in England, right, where where he's from. But I think, as far as the American musical theater is concerned it all kind of sometimes sat at the top but there are a lot of other successful people that are mentors and and teachers maury yeston who wrote nine and titanic he is a literal professor i believe he's at princeton i but he might be at harvard but you know he's a he's a big deal and really believes in the power of teaching and there's uh, something called the BMI, the big musical publishing company. BMI has a musical theater institute that is very prestigious to get into and develop new works. He's been a part of that. Alan Menken's been a part of that. And that was all founded by a conductor-composer named Lehman Engel, mm. who, if you buy cast albums from the 50s and 60s, he's the conductor on all of them. And so he believed in nurturing talent, and that goes on decades later through this program. So... Yeah, there's there's a, a pretty rich history of supporting young young writers, and it's incredibly hard because commercial theater is very <laughs> almost at this point impossible to break into. Yeah, and it's competitive, right? Like, yeah. so it reminds me of. I mean, so it was just Thanksgiving. It reminds me of football. You hear all the time about if you're watching football, the different coaching trees mm-hmm. that there are, and it's interesting to hear about the different philosophies. I mean. We here in Philadelphia are very familiar with Andy, Andy Reid and his coaching tree. I mean, our last coach, Doug Peterson, was a part of that tree. And you hear about how Andy Reid is very into that teaching and mentoring piece and allowing people to have the opportunities to try new things and to to take some ownership over different pieces of 
the the team in different ways and empower them that way but then you hear about i mean i don't know a lot about the other side of it but like the belichick tree seems not quite as much like that where it's a little it's a different style but there's all those different coaches under him as well so you have the different stylistic sides of but still those really intact trees that all lead towards someone who was a mentor or someone who was some of them or even themselves are mentored by other coaches that if you go way back yeah i mean somewhere along the line somebody taught them yeah right someone was their their mentor and maybe it deviates you know somewhere you know i did not realize it until they asked me to write a letter of recommendation for them but i am somebody's podcast mentor and i was like oh uh oh you know so someone is getting ready to go to uh, graduate school and said you know like you're my podcast mentor i'd love if you wrote me a letter of recommendation i was like hmm, okay so off of that branch of musical theater teaching i'm now on a tree of podcasting right so like yeah. you can have mentors in different areas and i think that's something else that's important to talk about that like you could have a mentor in let's say your banking internship and even if you don't stay in banking that doesn't mean that person doesn't have to be your mentor anymore i think it's i think that's real important because while often these times they are teaching you a specific skill to a job or to a craft it's a broader thing too it's about like how to apply those things in into your into your life right and they can be role models for how to live your life so just because you leave a job or if you switch professions that doesn't mean that that mentor mentee relationship has to end might change but the best of them like any other relationship kind of go on through your yeah, life it's all about relationship building that that's one of the hard parts too right is as you're changing those jobs it's a real skill to stay in touch with people and still foster those relationships in meaningful ways it is and it's a two-way street and both people have to have the will and the bandwidth for it but you know again like any good relationship there could be times particularly sadly for me at the end of his his life where i did not speak to ken maybe more than one or two times a year right so men, much time would pass between these conversations but nothing was lost other than, you know, time now that I wish I had taken advantage of. But you can't know these things. So I could speak to him in January and then not speak to him again until November. But it was like we just talked yesterday, right? That's the – and I would have no hesitation about calling him with a question. And, you know, I would be like, oh, just I haven't talked to him since January. He's not going to pick up the phone. No, he's going to pick up the phone. <laughs> he's going to answer my question. Yeah, and that's one of the hard things. Like, the further it gets along, the more worried you get. But – as soon as you start talking to them again, it's like yeah. you're you're right back there. I mean, I had a music teacher all throughout. He was my choir director and my music teacher in high school. Saw him every single day, pretty much my entire like growing up. Mm-hmm. And then graduated, didn't see him forever, but he ended up directing choir who came and sang for my friend's wedding. So I saw him like ten years later. I was kind of nervous. I was like, I mean, I haven't seen him forever. Maybe. Maybe he doesn't even really remember me, right? But then as soon as I saw him, I was like, we're chatting again like it was nothing. Of course, yeah. of course he remembered me. We're still talking. So don't be afraid to rekindle those relationships relationships, and reach back out to people. Um, That's another great you. point. Yeah, maybe you did. Maybe you, know, maybe you are now a Penn alum and you're out in the world and you're thinking about somebody that you talked to at Penn that you'd be like, man, if I were on campus, I'd, I'd ask Natty. 
I'm sure you could email Natty. He'd probably be thrilled to hear from I've you. I've gotten emails from when I used to work at Temple, past students at Temple who've reached out and said and reconnected and asked how things are going and kind of asked questions and stuff. And I'm happy to talk to them. Yeah. So we talked not that long ago about networking and that that big, scary word, again, that, that it can feel like there's some formal process that you need to go through to network. And that might there be can true. be yeah maybe there, <laughs> right? maybe you take advantage of something that's more of a formal process but right. maybe you don't but but in the end it's just about making a connection a human connection with another person right and that's the same thing with finding a mentor and it it's something that probably has to develop over time like we said it could be very hard to be like hi be my mentee uh me- mentor i guess i could go to someone and say hey be my mentee <laughs> that might be weird um but you know but you know think about who in your life are you already having these kinds of conversations with? Who do you admire? Who would you like to get to know better? And it could be difficult because people are busy. It might be, you know, it might be tough for you to say to your professor, I'd like to spend more time with you. But hey, but that's why office hours that's exist. That's why office right? hours exist. And then sometimes that's how relationships develop. You have a really good conversation, like, could we go have a coffee? Right? Professors always say yes to coffee love a coffee and i don't know how it maybe sadie knows because she's a student do they still have the take your professor to lunch program it might be different now with covid restrictions i haven't heard anything about that it was something that was offered where you could get a meal voucher for you and your professor and go to the inn at penn and go to the go to the faculty club and have one of their Swanky. one of their fine upscale sandwiches and a coffee and and just have lunch together with the professor. So the professors liked it because they were having a nice hot lunch and the students got to have some one on one time. There, that may I, I'm, if that was suspended, I'm guessing it was just for COVID reasons. I hope it, it comes back because it was pretty much it was a pretty good staple of the of the campus. I, I worked for college houses for uh, a year and a half, and that is a staple of the college house. A program where obviously faculty live in the college houses and they would have faculty dinners, you know, once a month. I did a really cool program the first year I worked for college houses. As as many of our listeners know, if you're at Penn, we always have a, an academic theme year based around the Penn Reading Project book. And the very first year we did that, the book was The Omnivore's Dilemma. So it was the year of food. And let me tell you, I was the perfect person to head that up. So I did a great, mostly successful, not always successful, but mostly successful program where once or twice a month, we picked a different restaurant in the city and we picked a professor that kind of fit the cuisine of the, of the restaurant based on their area of knowledge. And we would go and have an amazing dinner and let the professor kind of pontificate for a while and I had some really amazing conversations and programs like that. So whether those exact programs still exist, some things like them exist. That's a lot of time where those connections can't get made outside of the classroom at a thing like that. Cause you're both interested in it. You know, whether you go hear the professor talk about their research or their subject area at, at a, a 30 second lecture out outside or at a college house dinner, I feel like that's a place where, real relationships can can start. But these professors have so much information about all sorts of things. And that, again, office hours exist for a reason. It's a great time to just go. And who doesn't like to talk about themselves and their own interests? If you you ask exactly. about what kind of research they're doing or you know a little bit, you look at their, their profile on the biology department or whatever department's website and you see that they're interested in whatever topic. Who doesn't like to talk about the things that they're interested well, in? Well, that's exactly right. Um, 
I, you know, think think about it from your own perspective, right? If somebody came up to you and asked you to talk about your interests or your research, uh, your what you're doing at work, right? Other than like your mom at Thanksgiving asking you what you're doing, you know, a peer or a professor who takes an interest in that kind of stuff, I think would you wouldn't you love the opportunity to tell them about it? That's, I mean, that's you know, that's how my podcasting relationship came about i met this person at the austin film festival three years ago came up to me after a panel and asked some questions i was of course happy to talk about how i do things and now three years later there's a piece of paper that says i'm a mentor so that's it's official pretty yeah yeah no pressure the the michael DeAngelis podcasting tree has begun it's has begun. Sprouted. oh my gosh but but it's very flattering and it all started because she just asked me a question complete stranger just asked me a question and and i and i like to talk about podcasting so an easy conversation so was struck. Yeah. yeah so i think if you can like so much of the so many of the things that we talk about on this show if you can kind of destigmatize it i guess or if you can take away the sort of formal trappings of it and just think about it as relationship building and just talking to somebody about the things you like to talk about, then and, and I'm not saying that that makes it particularly easy. Like you still have to find that person. But I think if you take it can take some pressure off of yourself and off of the person that may end up being your mentor again, because I think if you approach a situation, I think nine times out of ten, I would say, if you went to someone was like, be my mentor. Then the person's going to be like, "Oh, uh, I don't know how to. I don't really know how, Yeah, I don't know how to do that." But likely, you already have someone who's acting in that capacity, or or helps mentor you in in less formal ways. Yeah. So I would say just think about who that person might be already, even without having to formally ask them, and continue to talk to them. Continue to talk to them. That's right. You don't. Yes. At no point, it's not like I don't know. Are we dating now? Or are we a mentor mentee now? <laughs> you never have to have that conversation, right? Julia never said to me, be my mentor. She just one day said, would you mind if I listed you as a reference on my grad school applications? And I went, huh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so let let it develop naturally, yeah. Just find find those things. Like, like Natty said, who are you already having these conversations with? Who is already inspiring you? Who uh, are you already trying to emulate in some ways? And see if you can... Get to know them better. Spend more time with them. Buy them a cup of coffee. And maybe it develops into a lifelong relationship or maybe it's good for the moment. Or or you move on to the next person. You yeah, know, exactly. No pressure on your end. Right? It's, it yeah, it's like, you know, it's like everything. It's everything that involves human interaction comes down to are you a good fit too, right? Maybe you, maybe you won't be. Right. Or maybe you are now, but you won't be later. And you found someone else who's a That's also fit. possible. And, you know, I, you know, it. I'd like to think we would have gotten along swimmingly, but it's quite possible that I could have sat down with Stephen Sondheim and we would have not had much to say to each other. Doubt that very much. <laughs> but but it is possible, right? And so you can't – don't put too much expectation on it. Just let it let it happen. And Natty nods in agreement on a podcast. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's every week. That's the theme of every week. Well, thanks for letting me have this little chat today. I I hope that wherever he is, Mr. Sondheim's like, my goodness, they're talking about me on a career services podcast. He's doing just like you did saying, he's like, ooh. Oh, ooh. And I thank him for all the inspiration 
and I thank him for uh, indirectly getting me a, a mentor in Ken Butler, who loved his work more than anything, and for setting me on my own tree. Yeah, amazing. And this this very podcast branch on that tree. So thank you, Mr. Sondheim, and thank all of you, and we'll see you next time on CS Radio. This podcast is a presentation of University of Pennsylvania Career Services, Division of Penn University Life. It was created by J. Michael DeAngelis and A. Milan Kirshner and produced and hosted by J. Michael DeAngelis and Natty Leach. It is mixed and edited by Sadie Kyler. If you like this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Podkit Chaser, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at at Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.